Hello and welcome into the Feels Like 45 podcast. I'm Cade Webb, and as always, I am joined by Dustin Ragusa. Dustin, welcome back, sir. It's good to see you. Hey, it was tough to be out, but you and Cameron held it down. You guys did a great job. How are you doing? I'm good, man. And we did our best. I mean, I, I appreciate you saying that, but I just know what, what we left and we left it on the floor. So I'm, I'm glad you enjoyed it. And uh, I wanted to apologize for borderline questioning your Oklahoma State <laughs> fandom. Um, that was never my intention. And uh, I just wanted to kick the podcast off with that right there. Hey, I appreciate I appreciate the apology and the call out, but no, I know it was all in good fun. You guys did an awesome job talking basketball tournament and everything. I had a good time listening on my flight back, so that was a lot of fun. But Cade, we uh we got the postseason victory in basketball. We got spring football practice starting up next Monday. A lot is going on with Oklahoma State sports, not even to mention wrestling national championships, baseball, softball, track and field national championship. Yeah. A ton going on. Well, I mean, Oklahoma State basketball is on a sweet 16 run right now. Now, it's in the (laughs) NIT and maybe don't post a graphic about it, but they are. Sweet 16 in huge font. I mean, maybe we don't post that, but they're there. My thing is maybe we just... All, like maybe we just take on that kind of persona. We just post about everything, like a, a la Texas A&M type of thing. You know, 1945 like, national champs, yeah. NIT Sweet 16 ach- achievers, I guess. Kings Reachers. of March asterisk, <laughs> like it's just in small font with a disclaimer at the bottom, like not actually talking about March Madness. But yeah, I know it's... It, I know it makes people really upset and i know we think it's dumb that they do it but it's almost funny how upset it makes people so i don't know which side of the fence i'm on because you know i love trolling and you know i love making yeah. people mad and good fun well just wait until they win it and they call themselves national champs because that's <laughs> what i would do i would just own the whole thing and if you don't know what we're talking about osu basketball posted a graphic with sweet 16 in huge letters and it struck me like at first I was they're like, is it, oh, wait, it's the NIT and they're not wrong. So at this point, I would just commit to the bit and call yourselves national champs if you win the whole dang thing, which they could. That, that's my I think that's where I'm at as well. And I'm sure people think one, we're not funny. And two, <laughs> they completely disagree with that. But hey, sorry. Mike Boynton did say we're going to hang a banner in Gallagher, Iowa. I was there when he said it. And so... <laughs> He didn't say what type, but he did say that we were going to hang there's, a banner. There's going to be some kind of banner hung up there. Maybe it's Mike Boynton will be hanging up a national golf championship banner, but somehow <laughs> he's going to be hanging up a banner in there. 
All right. Well, we might let basketball off the hook. Sorry for the just utter trolling and demoralization of the program. It's they're not deserving of it. Um, obviously, the snub is a huge deal. We'll talk about basketball. We've got some football news and notes to get to, but the snub was a huge deal. I think they should have been in. And you watch Nevada just get, uh, you know, completely uh, outclassed by Arizona points. State last night. I'm not sure the result is much different with Oklahoma State. Arizona State has like. Uh, the it factor right now that you need in March. But beyond that, we will break down what's going on in the NIT, some injury news, and then, you know, one one of mine and Dustin's favorite things in the entire world, some transfer portal talk. We'll get to that. But, Dustin, why don't we just go ahead and open this up uh, with some football news and notes? Yeah, so first thing I wanted to hit, Cade, football-wise, not directly Oklahoma State, or not just centered around Oklahoma State football, but the entire Big 12 is the Big 12 announced they're going to partner with the NFL for a conference-wide pro day starting in 2024. I believe it'll be broadcast on NFL Network. They're going to hold it at the Ford Center at the Star in Frisco, Texas, which is where Big 12 Media Days is. Uh, or it was held there a few years ago. I don't think it, it wasn't there last year, I don't believe. But I think it's going to be really cool. It's another thing, Brett Yarmark, you know, he talked about making the Big 12 younger, hipper, cooler. It's another thing he's just kind of adding in along with we saw at the Big 12 men's basketball tournament, the musical acts and things like that, Shaq DJing, all that kind of stuff getting thrown in there. So maybe it's not always super important stuff that that is happening but it is interesting, and it's cool to just kind of see him doing this stuff. I love everything that he's doing so far, and I know people will make fun of some of the things like I just mentioned, the musical acts and stuff that were at the Big 12 basketball tournament, but it's still cool that he's trying these things and throwing them out there and using these different ideas because I don't think we're seeing the other conferences do this in kind of all these different scenarios, so I think it's a lot of fun. Yeah, I agree with you. And I I mean, his his background is in television and entertainment. And, you know, with that comes like a marketing slant. And he's clearly got some sort of marketing engine behind him that I mean, it may be him that's that's kind of pushing these ideas because it seems like every about every other month, there's something that comes out that it's like, oh, well, why wasn't that done earlier? And this Big 12 Pro Day is one of them. And what I love about it is I don't think the Big 12 is being bashful. I think the Big 12 is leaning into this kind of do it differently. You know, younger, hipper, cooler, that's all fine and good. But they're doing things differently, which I think is refreshing. They're not stuffy. And I I have a lot of respect for what your mark has done in, you know, the first six to 12 months of his tenure or however long it's been. I think he's done a great job. And these are, these are cool enhancements, I think. My only thing, Cade, is... I'm wondering what some of the players think about this because my understanding with the pro day and doing it at your school or even doing it, you know, at a high school in your school's city, the same city that the campus is on with your entire coaching staff is the comfortability, you know, being there with all of your coaches, helping you with the bench press, the 40. And I'm not saying, it, you know, it's not cheating or anything. It just, because you're more comfortable these players tend to perform a little bit better. So is the entire coaching staff going to go to Frisco? Are they all going to be there? Is it going to be the same kind of comfortable process for these players that doing it at Oklahoma State 
was in the past. That would be kind of my only negative take on it if I was a player, but just kind of was trying to look at like a different angle aside from well, just yeah, being so, positive that they're putting it together. So that doesn't, it doesn't eliminate the previous big 12 day, does it? Or it, it, or I'm sorry, the previous pro day. So Oklahoma state will still host their own or no, like it's now. That's what I don't know. That That's yeah, kind of I what I'm asking. I'm not sure yeah. if Oklahoma state's still going to do their own. I haven't seen that written anywhere. Maybe I missed it, but I would think Oklahoma state would still want to do something in Stillwater. I'm just not sure. Cause then you've got, you know, players possibly invited to the combine that might also do this pro day. And then are they doing another pro day at their campus? Right. It, right. I'm just confused on how that's going to work out. And, you know, it's, it's a football thing. So you and I are reading way too much into it. I'm sure people are like, guys, just chill out. It's not even like close to happening yet, but yeah, probably. it's something I thought about when I read the story. Well, yeah. Like who, who's going to be inclined to do a second pro day. If there is one, it's, it's more than likely going to be your guys that really, really need another shot at a pro day. So I don't know what the caliber of player would be that's at that event. Now, the one interesting thing and possibly funny thing that could happen is if all the coaching staffs are going, which I believe you know every school will bring some staff to help out with their players, all the strength coaches in one spot together, Oh, I kind of like that. I'll hang out could, with that crew. You could put the coaches through the combine. You could put them through the ringer. That would be my just, my pitch to Brett Yormark. Yeah, like day. throw Gundy on the 40. I mean, could you imagine? Do you, would he be a headband guy? Do you think with his hair that if he's running a dead sprint that he's got a headband in, you think? I honestly think Gundy would perform really well in his age group at a combine. You, we've seen him with a shirt off. And now hey, he's rocking that beard. He's just, that makes him a little bit stronger, I think, the beard by itself. And Gary Patterson's not getting out of this, okay? He's participating <laughs> in this coach's combine. So I'll I'll float that one out royalty-free, too. That would be a great idea. Seriously, though, all the strength coaches together could get wild. But I, I, do, I do think it'll be interesting to see what else comes of this and how it's actually going to be set up. We're talking about it basically off the, like, three-paragraph story that we read coming out. So we don't know a ton of details on it. We probably spent way too much time on it, but definitely wanted to hit it because it's cool. And it just shows that Brett Yormack is really, really interested in trying new things like you mentioned. Yeah, a hundred percent. And we tend to spend too much time on things. So yeah, that's, that's those things depth chart. Yeah. Um, okay. Next note, just a quick one. Just wanted to shout out because you and I really like him. He's made some, Pretty big catches throughout his Oklahoma State career. Remember the Boise State game? Kale Cabanis, former Oklahoma State walk-on wide receiver, was recently put on scholarship. It's a really cool video that's been put out on Twitter showing Gundy announcing it, Kale talking to his mom on the phone. So it's really cool. I, I mean, he's gotten playing time over the past two seasons, enough to where it's like, man, you'd think they would put this guy on scholarship if they're going to throw him out there that much. I'm not surprised by it at all. I know they still have a few spots left open, especially now that we know that some of the super seniors scholarships are being taken care of through NIL. So I think it's really cool. I don't have a problem with it at all. And shout out to Kale for grabbing the scholarship. Yeah, it's the coolest thing, right? I mean, and I love the way that Gundy delivered it. It was very much like a meandering point. 
And I think he kind of blew everybody's mind. So, uh, and the conversation between Cabinus and his mom was was really cool. And I was, I love that they captured that because that's kind of the other side that you don't always see. So that, that was a really cool moment. Yeah, those videos are great. I know there's a ton of them out there, but I normally watch them. They're always, you know, really cool to see. I, I'm, it's obviously never happened to me, but I'm sure it's a huge accomplishment and really great for these guys to get that and for their families and everything. So, yeah, thank you for caveating that you were not a scholarship athlete. Not even close. I, I, not even close. Appreciate you saying that. Yep. All right, Cade. <laughs> spring football practice starts next Monday. I think I think the guys report next Monday. I believe the practice the first practice might not be until Wednesday, but we're gearing up. We know there's no spring game. I'm not going to rant about that and with some conspiracies that it's all Mike Gundy's fault and cry about it on here. We're going to talk about the actual storyline. So, Kate, I just want to give you a few notes. We've been talking seven on seven, some of the walkthrough stuff that's been going on. Folks report. I've seen Robert Allen write a little bit about it. He's saying, so the first thing that he that Robert Allen wrote recently when he was kind of breaking down the roster, because he's allowed to go to some of the walkthroughs and the seven on seven stuff. Trey Rucker, he said he thinks he has two years of eligibility left. I don't know how that's possible. I feel like he's been there forever. Well, and he was at Wake Forest. Right. Like he this is his third year in Stillwater. Yeah. So, so I don't know how he would have two unless he's getting some kind of red shirt. I thought he was ineligible, so I don't know if you could get a red shirt when you're ineligible because he did miss like basically the entire season. Maybe he hasn't used a red shirt yet. I tried to look at his bio on the roster and got a little bit confused on how that's possible. But Robert Allen, I mean, he's normally right about the roster stuff. So if he is, that's pretty cool because that just gives you some leadership and depth in the safety room, even if it's just one more year after this one. That's pretty cool. Oh, yeah. And I think uh, he came on late last year. And I think it should give you some confidence going into this year. But if he's got two, yeah, the bowl game basically then was you really can, the only right late last year is uh, kind of underselling it. It was one <laughs> game. And so hopefully he's able to do that again. Um, but it would be nice to have another guy like that with multiple years of eligibility, especially as you're trying to grow up again in the secondary. Yeah, I completely agree. Another note, apparently Garrett Rangel is looking really good. That's it the rumor. seven on seven. I know right after I say that, everybody listening that you know likes football, pays attention to all, is going to go, it's seven on seven. I get it. It's seven on seven, but he's looking really good. The ball's popping. I think he's really accepted the leadership role. Alan Bowman apparently is just kind of getting back into the swing of things, learning the offense, learning kind of the guys around him. So... I don't know, Kate. Is it going to be a true? And this, you know, the next little segment we we're going to go into was storylines for the spring, but I might hit this one right now on this note. Is there going to be a QB competition, or do you think it's for sure day one on Bowman? Or do you think Rangel has a shot to kind of take it over and Bowman be that backup leadership kind of coach on the sideline role that he was playing at Michigan? Oh, man, I think it's totally reasonable to see a world where Garrett Rangel is your starter next year. I mean, I don't know how fired up people will be about that. I don't know how fired up Mike Gundy will be about that. That's probably not the ideal scenario. But if you bring in Alan Bowen, and there's a lot of ways this can go. He can come in and underperform, which may be the case. But if you if he comes in and within one week, 
in spring practice, and I know that's fast, but spring goes fast. If you don't feel great about where you're at with him, you kind of need to get Rangel that time, right? Like that's that might be the way I'm looking at it, where you get a chance to not necessarily uh, throw a guy out there that isn't going to do a whole lot and is there for one year. So for me, Rangel could totally win the starting job. And that would probably because Al- be because Alan Bowman was not what you needed him to be. That's really the scenario that would have to happen in. Yeah, and we talked about it last year. You and I thought it was really unfair to throw Garrett Rangel out there. I, I know that Spencer Sanders had the injury issues. He beat out Gunnar Gundy, apparently, but he was undersized. We've seen that he's gained at least nine pounds, according to the new <laughs> roster, which is great. Yeah. You'd like, I honestly thought, you and I were talking about he could put on 15 Yep, is would be a great kind of baseline there, but he's put on more weight. We thought he was undersized weight wise, just body, his body being ready for the college level, but really the only knock on him that I had from his on field play was the accuracy issues because, you know, I did the, I did a film breakdown on him coming out of high school. And one of the things that I noted was a strength of his watched multiple full games of his from high school was his accuracy. And it was off like way off at times last year, you know, you kind of give him a pass in that first game, first half. But after that, there were, it was just blatant misses on his end. Sometimes the receivers at fault, if he can clean that up, I think he can be a really, really good quarterback at this level. He showed some things, but he also showed a lot of freshman issues. And and I agree with you. The most concerning thing about all of that was the accuracy. It was not really the missed reads or the maybe fancy footwork at times or lack of fancy footworks in the pocket when he's under pressure. It was the accuracy that was concerning when there was time and there was a guy downfield. You know, one of the things that sticks out is there were a few throws in the bowl game where, you know, you've got a a guy streaking down the middle or down the sideline and you're either behind it or you're 10 yards, you know, north and to the right. So it was a it was a difficult thing to watch. But I I do think he's got a chance to. Uh, of course, shore that up. And if he does, I, I would think he's absolutely in the conversation to be your starter next year. Yeah. Uh, along with Rangel, Josiah Johnson, the tight end transfer, has apparently looked really, really good in seven on seven. Obviously, hasn't been able to show off any of his blocking skills yet at the tight end position, but as a receiving tight end, he's apparently standing out in practice or in seven on seven. And then the last note I wanted to hit before we get to the storylines. Aiden Kelly's shoulder injury that we mentioned on here, you know, we saw the picture of him in the sling on social media. That's going to keep him out the entire spring. It's been a tough ride for Aiden Kelly, a guy you and I really liked coming out of high school. He's dealt with some injuries, just kind of getting up to speed on everything. Seems like a really great kid. We've seen the uh, auctioneer things that he's done. It's really cool for the different like pep rallies and stuff like that. Seems like an awesome guy. He's just having trouble staying healthy and putting it all together. I'm worried he's not going to be on the two deep again, a guy that you and I liked to kind of be in that rotation going into the season. But if he's missing the entire spring, a lot of these other guys are going to be getting reps. I just think it's going to be tough for him to crack that two deep. Now, I think he could still be a rotational piece, but even with a kind of thin, I guess, defensive line, even though they've added guys like Kirkland and Oates, I still don't know if he's going to crack it, just missing so much time. Well, and I think, especially if he's missing time, there's no question, but I think Justin Kirkland might be a guy to 
potentially keep an eye on. There's some some chatter that he's just as big as advertised. You know, there's there's a chance he comes in and is very surprising to a lot of people, me included. Um, but now in this three down, you know, look, I don't know if you I mean, Aiden Kelly, I thought would be battling for that starting position or at the very least the two two spot. But if he's got that injury, I agree with you. I don't see how he how he cracks that going into fall. All right, Caden, let's look at some storylines. The first one I wanted to hit you with. Will this be the starting offensive line at the end of spring practice that we see at the to-be-determined later sure. time when we might get some info on spring practice that we'll talk about later? <laughs> Will this be it? Left tackle, Dalton Cooper. Left guard, Cole Birmingham. Center, Preston Wilson. Right guard, Jason Brooks. Right tackle, Jake Springfield. Who do you see from there maybe being replaced? Do you think it's a Joe Mahoski taking Preston Wilson's spot at center? Do you think Caleb Etienne takes one of those tackle spots? Yeah. Taylor Materko, who started last year, does he slot in there? Where do you see, if you could pick one spot that that changes, what would it be? I think based on what we saw last year, the most likely answer would be that Etienne slots in instead of Springfield. I I I think they love what they have in Dalton Cooper potentially. Um I, and if you do and he played left tackle and he's the better option there, maybe a little bit more athletic, maybe a little bit more fleet of foot, strong, then I think you have a good option in Etienne at right tackle. The question is how happy is he going to be about that? So I think you could slice that a number of different ways, but I think from the tackle spot or I'm sorry, from the guard spot last year I don't see how Materko or Mahalski slot in above either of those guys at guard. Yeah, we're hearing some rumors that Wilson maybe permanently has has moved to guard and Mahalski wow. and Austin Kowecki are wow. at center. I'll have to see it to believe it because I, I just don't I don't know why Preston Wilson comes back if he doesn't think he's got his starting spot back again. And I don't know if I see him starting at guard over Brooks and Birmingham. Yeah, that's a crazy, um, crazy thought. But I mean, Wilson is one of Oklahoma State's best offensive linemen. I think he would do a good job at guard, especially if he's not worried so much about holding everything together. He may be a, you know, better guard than he is a center. Um, I wouldn't hate to see it, but now you have a question. Okay, is is Mahalski really ready to do this for 12 games or is it Austin Kowecki? And that would be maybe my the more exciting option to me. Yes, for sure. And Austin Kowecki, you know, we saw him crack the depth chart later in the year. He's moved from tackle to center. A lot of great things said about him. Okay, Cade, storyline number two. Who's the guy we hear about throughout spring practice as, that's the new go-to receiver? Is it a Jaden Bray? Is it Blaine Green who's moved from cowboy back Back to receiver. Is it going to the slot like we saw last season in a Brennan Presley? Is it one of the new guys, Stribling yes. or Johnson, or a Talon Chetron, who I think isn't getting talked about enough at all heading into totally. the spring? I think it's Deshaun Stribling. I mean, right when you started asking, I think it's Deshaun Stribling. I mean, they they love him. I think he fits the scheme well. It could totally be a Jaden Bray, but I think one of the the 
un maybe unexpected guys that you know if you're into it you know who Deshaun Stribling is but if you're not you're gonna walk into day one in Boone Pickens Stadium and be like who's that because I think he's gonna be a guy that plays a lot so I, I'm gonna pick him wearing 88 too is gonna be oh yeah awesome which I actually thought it was 88 believe, and I almost right? said it but I didn't want to sound stupid so yeah you're gonna wonder who's 88 <laughs> well it's him. So I think I think you're right, Kate. On my on my end, I think it's almost so. Last season, you know, we came into the season. I think you and I both said, you said Braden Presley. I said Braden Johnson, just because he's at the Z spot. But we were really unsure, and the question was, who's going to be wide receiver number one? As in the fact that we don't know who's going to step up. Is is there anyone on the roster that has that potential that we've seen? from you know a tay martin most recently a tylen wallace players like that james washington not that anybody has to be up to their level but we had those questions this year with guys like stribling blaine green moving back to the x Jaden bray coming back off injury talon shetron you know the highly touted high school recruit that's apparently looks way better like body type wise workout wise and everything I think there's a lot of guys who yeah. have the talent to be a number one this year. And I don't think it's so much the question mark of, is there a guy, but who is the guy? Well, I, I completely agree with you. There, there are guys all up and down the roster. And we, I made this case on the podcast. I won't lump you in in case you disagree with this. I think there's a chance that at the skill positions, they might have, in general, upgraded. Now, and, and I know that sounds crazy with the amount of departures they had, but if you actually look at the production and the way the depth chart ended up last year, Bryson Green was not supposed to be your starting outside receiver. It's the way the cookie crumbled. And I think this season you're going to have better production from all of your skill talent. And uh, I mean, I'm looking at even the kid from Iowa at the slot position. Like he could be somebody that surprises people. I mean, day one, he's is he going to be the starter? Probably not, but he could be. I mean, he's going he's going to be behind Presley, so obviously not. But I mean, he's going to play a lot. So, yeah, Arlen Bruce, a guy we didn't even mention. So great call there. Okay, Cade, one more on the offense, and then we'll flip to just a couple on the defense. This one I think should be quick. There's really only two guys I think that are in the mix. Who's RB one? Is it Elijah Collins or is it Ollie Gordon? I, I think those are the names to choose from, right? I know we've got Jaden Nixon, DeAndre Jackson, who apparently looks even in even better shape and should fit the gap scheme run game a little bit better than the zone. But it's either Ollie or Elijah Collins, the Michigan State transfer, right? I th I think it's Ollie. It, I, I mean, he just got a Cadillac. He stayed. He posted the graphic on his Instagram. I don't see a way that Ollie Gordon is not your starter unless it is his fault. I don't expect a, I don't expect Elijah Collins to be starting, but I am excited yeah. about the depth you have there. I agree. I think Gordon is going to be the guy we're hearing about as RB1, but I, th I think Collins is going to be. I don't think it's going to be a Dom Richardson early in the season type thing where he's getting 99% of the carries. I, I think I say this every year, but I think there's going to be a split, so. I mean, could you imagine if Ollie Gordon doesn't start and then hits the portal? I mean, even with no context, which there would be a lot of context, how that would go on social media. I mean, I, I think for that reason, he might be a starter anyway. So. <laughs> okay, Cade, what is more likely 
Alan Oliver is one of your three starting linebackers day one. So that, that would mean he's completely moving off the defensive line. Or Xavier Benson is replaced as one of the starting linebackers with someone else. Maybe it's Colin Oliver. Maybe it's Jeff Robertson. Maybe it's Nick Martin, Donovan Stevens, Gabe Brown. Which one of those is more likely, do you think? Well, I think this um, I think this new scheme potentially helps Xavier Benson. So I'm going to go with Colin Oliver being one of your starting three, but only because I, I feel like this maybe gives Xavier Benson less, um, I don't know, responsibility is a tough way to say it, but he's got a little more ability to focus. He, he's got another person beside him. Um, maybe the wrong way to look at it, but I, I feel like that would be my take. So I'll, I'll go with Colin Oliver being your starter uh, at linebacker would be would be the uh, least surprising option. I like that, I, and I like that analysis on it. So that would, I think, that would make your three starting linebackers right: the Tulsa transfer, Oliver, and Benson. Just which answering is, it that way, which add on our depth chart that we released a couple weeks ago. Right. So n- not far off. I agree. I'll have to see a Robertson or a Martin kind of step up to really to really believe it or hear that from you know the practice report. So we'll kind of see how that goes. And then, Cade, the last one I wanted to leave it with. Who do you think are the three starting safeties when we kind of move into the fall? Is it Rucker, Daniels, Rawls? Is a Raymond Gay in there? Ladarius Webb, Ty Williams, Nick Session, a freshman like Tywin Ray cracking it? Who, who do you think are the three guys there? We know Daniels is for sure one. So who are the other two around him? Rucker, Daniels, Rawls feels right. The only guy I would be curious well I'm, I'm curious about a lot of them tywin ray would be cool but i don't see that happening ladarius webb would be the one that i would potentially wonder as being the most ready to go i mean lyric rawls has been there for a while trey rucker's been there for a while kendall daniels has been there for a while everybody else is kind of new kid on the block so i that's that feels safe to me yeah no I, no i like that Okay, that was all I had, unless you had awesome. more storylines. Line, story I wanted to hit a few because there's going to be ones that come up through spring practice when we see the media reports of the guy. Because, yeah. you know, they get to go to the first, I think it's 15, 20 minutes of practice. So we'll see a lot of stuff from them. Robert Allen will probably get to stay for a little bit longer. We'll see and hear some stuff from him. So we'll kind of see how it goes. A couple of quick recruiting notes before we move into basketball. Can I, can I, can I just right before we transition? Yeah. There's no way. If if Alan Bowman comes in to spring and stinks, that you're gonna hear about it from a you know a written source. Let's just say that if right. if right. Garrett Rangel is the guy and wins the job, I think the day you hear about it is the day that Oklahoma State opens the season. And I think if Alan Bowman wins the job, you hear about that probably in mid August. So my my point to all of that is the whole uh dynamic will be strange all off season. If Alan Bowman comes in and is clearly not ready to go, there will be less chatter about it. I think you'll get some more vague kind of commentary out of Stillwater about it. And personally I'm excited. And I do have a question for you today. If you had to guess who is your starter day one in Stillwater. I'm going to go Bowman at this time. You know, they brought him in. They obviously liked something there. 
Gundy obviously likes something there. Retay, Dunn. I don't think they would have brought anyone in. I know they needed a like an older kind of leadership seniority presence in the QB room. I just don't know if you bring in Alan Bowman if you're not expecting him to start. I think they could have brought in a guy from a smaller level school that had some experience, like when they brought in a Drew Brown or somewhat like a Drew Brown like that. Yeah. But I think if you bring in Alan Bowman, the coaching staff's expecting him to start. So as of right now, I think it's going to be him, but I wouldn't be shocked if Rangel beat him out. Yeah. Yeah. I totally agree. I just, I wanted your take on it. Yep. Just some quick recruiting notes. I'm not going to go through everything, Kate, because we got a lot to get to with basketball yeah, and everything like that, but one twenty twenty four offer of note, Dominic McKinley, the defensive lineman out of Acadiana High School in Lafayette, Louisiana. Four-star, number 13 rated DL, number three in Louisiana. Six foot five, 290 pounder. He's got offers from Baylor, Cal, Colorado, Houston, Michigan State, Ole Miss. It's I mean, pretty much everybody, you know, Alabama, Auburn, Florida State, all these guys are kind of in on him. But it's cool to see Oklahoma State get in the mix for these bigger guys. You know, we hear that as a complaint a lot. Why aren't they offering these four- and five-star guys? I don't know if they have a shot with McKinley, but he is an absolute monster. It's track and field star as well in the shot put and discus, and he's just an absolute beast. It would be awesome to see him at Oklahoma State. I don't think, I don't think we will, but it's cool that they got in the mix on him. Yeah, no question. I don't see him coming to Stillwater, but I I like knowing that there's a chance. 100%. And then a bunch of visits. I'm not going to run through them all, but there's a lot of guys that are visiting soon. We talked about this after the dead period ended on February 28th and spring practice starts. The reason why they set up the spring practice schedule differently than how it's been in the past is so they can get more recruits in with the, with the days they have it set up on and some of these weekend visits and things like that. Bunch of three-star guys coming in, wide receiver Logan Saldate, Kyle Rakers, defensive lineman. A couple notables, four-star safety Aaron Flowers should be in the week of March 25th. Keeper Sibley, running back from Conley Waco, where we've seen, you know, the Corey Black, uh, Trent Pullen, who previously transferred. I know Oklahoma State's recruiting Kobe Black, Corey's little brother. So Sibley is from Conley Waco. In Waco, 5'8", 175-pound running back. He should be in the first week of April. Willie Nelson and Will Smith should be coming. The the commits that Oklahoma State has in the 2024 <laughs> class should be coming to visit soon. And then Oklahoma State's trying to get four-star QB Isaac Wilson from Draper, High, Draper Corner Canyon in Utah. Apparently, they're trying to get him on an official. He mentioned that in a recent article. He noted several schools that were trying to get him in on an official so that would be kind of cool if you see a name like Isaac Wilson pop up. Know that he's uh, really good at quarterback. Well, if I see names like Willie Nelson and Will Smith pop up in Stillwater together, I'm <laughs> I'm I'm getting there to participate in the in the scrum. I got to see they what that's all about. Visit the weekend that Garth Brooks is going to be there. Yeah, wear your helmet though is all I'll say. <laughs> um, and Kate, last note, just real quick. I know these rankings don't mean a ton. 247 is kind of just, I think, getting the hang of ranking these transfer portal guys with the new transfer portal process. But they released their top 150 transfer portal players from this past transfer portal process last week. And Oklahoma State, I thought that the only thing that I wanted to point out from it, not where guys are ranked so much, but 
they have four guys that made the cut coming in as transfers and exactly four guys that made the top 150 going out. So the four coming in were Deshaun Stribling at number 74, Dalton Cooper at number 106, Arlen Bruce at number 122, and Anthony Goodlow at number 144. And transferring out, Mason Cobb at 67, Dom Richardson at 85, which is very high, Spencer Sanders at 99, and Jabbar Muhammad at 149, which is very low. But I just thought that was funny, four in, four out, almost exactly, a little uh, a little accounting there. I, I Right, and we're not following Gap here, but what, I, what you love to see there is is vindiction and validation. And I felt after seeing that a little bit validated in our assessment of the talent that left and that was brought in. And so I do think it even backs up the idea that, okay, maybe you can reload at the skill positions. Maybe that's not such a crazy thought. So I know it's not going to be a, a popular opinion because of the way the off season or the way the end of the season went, but I'm just saying, I, I think you'd might've done a good job in the portal. Yeah, I agree. I, the only thing I will say about those rankings is they had no shot at Braylon Presley here, but they had him ranked ahead of John Paul Richardson. And when I saw that, I kind of was like, maybe, maybe I don't pay attention as much to these, but it's a great point that you just made. I wanted to call it out. Definitely interesting. I haven't seen it like really publicized a lot. I know two, four, seven, like I said, is kind of, new to getting this down to like how they have the high school recruiting rankings. So I'm sure that's why it's not popping up everywhere, but I thought it was interesting. Yeah. Yeah. No question. I think so too. Okay. That's all we got for football. Well, we should get to basketball before we do that. Dustin, I'm going to do something a little uh, different. We've got two sponsors that we need to say a quick thank you to. And it being March madness, we, we should just talk about them really quickly. Homefield apparel, I mean, if you go on their website right now, I'm I'm looking, and one, I've got an idea for you, so don't let me forget this, but there's Providence, like brand new Providence apparel, which I'm not a big Providence Friars guy, but I am a fan of that shirt, and I love like vague kind of weird designs like Tulane Green Wave, the Hawaii Rainbow Warriors, just some random logos. I think Stony Brook has a great one, but Homefield, if you use our promo code at feels 12 You'll get 20% off your first order. I think it's 20%. Let me consult the network on that. Is it 15%? I think it's 15%. <laughs> I think it's 15 yeah. Yeah, scratch that. It's 15%. Hearing from my <laughs> producer that it's 15% <laughs> off your first order when you use our promo code FEELS12. But what I will also say, it'd be great to have a shuffle button on that website to just go through all the wild designs. So again, our dear friends at Homefield, when you use our promo code at feels 12, you get 50% off your first order. And that idea is royalty free. You can have it. Yes. I, I would love it. Kate, it's cool. Like if you pick the team to go all the way in the tournament, that's a little bit of a higher seed. Go grab a shirt and support them. Use our well, code. Well, a hundred percent. Unfortunately, no Furman. I don't think. And I don't think there's any uh, um, uh, Princeton. I think there is Princeton actually. There might be Princeton on there who just took down number two Arizona and Furman taking down Virginia. Actually, some upsets, Dustin, some shirts. Again, a, another note from our producer coming in here: uh, you can get a Furman shirt from Homefield and the Paladins, you, and you can and you cannot get a Princeton shirt on Homefield Apparel. So, well, I mean, with the drama in the NCAA tournament today uh, with Furman, I think you got to go get yourself a Paladin shirt, right? I think they're making it to the Sweet 16. 
I think they might too. That matchup against San Diego State is is not unwinnable for sure. Yeah, I love it. It's tournament time. Homefield's got awesome shirts, like Kay just noted. So go check them out. Use our code. Grab some. Yeah, I love it, Dustin. The second sponsor we need to say a thank you to it's our friend at Prize Picks. Uh, again, with it being March Madness, it's just important that you know with our promo code and when you sign up for Prize Picks and you deposit. $100, they will match it. So they will match actually any deposit up to $100 when you use our promo code FEELS12. So our friends at Prize Picks, uh, it's it's a fun use, like especially if you're just looking at some you know uh, player parlays or some prop bets or things like that. Um, I definitely think that you guys would have a lot of fun. I know I will be uh, having a lot of fun this weekend. Maybe not too much fun. Let's all keep it responsible, but I do think Prize Picks is a great way to spend your March Madness weekend. And uh, again, what better way to kick it off than with our promo code and a match up to one hundred dollars when you deposit your first time. So, Dustin, that's it. That's the housekeeping that I wanted to do. We should though get into some basketball notes, and obviously, the NIT is not necessarily the the cream of the crop, the 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 place you want to be. But Oklahoma State got a test. And I, I know we'll get into some other news and notes here in just a minute. But going on the road to Youngstown, you and I were texting about this yesterday. It was a totally losable game going into that. They have, I think that would have been the second time they would have beat a Power 5 team on their own floor. Oklahoma State gets out of there with the win. But there was a time it was looking like what you and I may have feared. Yeah, they hadn't hosted a Power 5 school on campus since I think it was like 1993 or something like that I saw. Just absolutely insane. They gave away free tickets to the students. I don't think it was completely full in there, but it was definitely loud from watching it on TV. I didn't get to watch the second all of the second half live, so I actually watched that right before we got on the podcast. Just a, just a weird game, Cade, because Youngstown State came out just firing threes some of the worst shot selection I've ever seen. And in the first half, they were going in. And then the second half, they weren't. And Oklahoma State, they never went in. 21% from three. They only made four all game. And I think three of the four they made in the second half. So that was kind of clutch. The only one in the first half, I think, was Asbury's buzzer beater that uh made the yeah. that pissed off the Youngstown State Penguin mascot. I put that out on Twitter. That was really funny. Not that I put that out on Twitter, but what the Penguin did. Yeah. Um, but it was just a it was a really sloppy, not turnover wise, but just shooting wise, a sloppy game. If I was a Youngstown State fan, their their guy Rush, two for nine from three, all nine were some of the worst threes I've ever seen in my life. The two he made, he had a guy in his face on both of them, and they were from like well beyond the three-point line. I, he was making me mad for Youngstown State fans because of the shots he was taking. Yeah, they they had no option other than to shoot threes, though. Like, they could not get inside. Oh, I agree. I, and if they did, that was getting pinned on the glass. So it's like they, they could only jack threes, and some of them were just utterly ridiculous. And you felt like... The terrible shots. Yeah, I mean, it was like Kobe out there, and <laughs> and it, they were like guarded shots. So you, you felt like at some point... If they just kind of returned back to earth, Oklahoma State could figure out a way to get physical enough to dominate that game, and they did. I mean, the second half was um, exactly what you would hope to see against a team like that, whether it's on the road or at home. 
let's just face it, Oklahoma State cannot shoot. They cannot shoot. And so your options are to bash people inside. And that's what they did. I mean, Tyreek Smith deserves all the credit in the world. He has basically made Caleb Boone the third guy off the bench, and rightfully so. I, I think that Tyreek Smith has come in and has played with energy, should get you excited for next year. Uh, I actually don't even know if he can come back, but what? who cares? He's done a great he, job. The energy that he came out with, you could tell. So Caleb Boone was under the weather. They said that before the game. You could tell, and it wasn't just – We've seen Caleb Boone sometimes not show a lot of energy. You could tell he was not feeling good. And Tyreek Smith decided to up his energy. He, he led the team in shot attempts. That has to be the first time he's done that in his career in college. I'm sure he didn't do that at Tech. Comes no out way. 14 shots. He only makes five of them. He missed some bunnies around the rim, but the energy was big time. 12 rebounds, two assists, a steal, a block. Did all that with only two fouls and played 31 minutes. Some of the shots, the three-pointer, never never again, Tyreek. But everything else that he did, I loved. I loved the energy. I don't mind that he led the team in shots. I don't want it to always happen. But he was being aggressive. And, you know, if he makes two or three of those near the rim, then you're talking about 8 of 14 from the field, which looks a lot better than 5 of 14. Musisise. Yeah. When he can block a shot... Keep it inbounds, but get it to his guy. That's a rare skill in the highest level of basketball. You know, people see these shot blockers that just block the shot into the stands. That's basically like giving the offense an offensive rebound. They get the ball back. It's cool that you block the shot. It didn't go in the basket, but the offense gets the ball right back. Cisse blocks the ball to his team. He blocks it to himself. will pass it out, blocks it, saves it back inbounds to his team. It's unreal, and it's it's a very, like I think, underappreciated talent of a shot blocker. And Musa Cisse is almost to the point where he's perfected it. Well, and I think it it it's seen because, one, his effort and his talent is there. But two, Oklahoma State's guards are, they're not the best, but they are physical. And I don't think they're afraid to get up and go get a rebound. How many times do you see Bryce Thompson flying in there with Musa Cisse only to catch his shoulder from Musa, who's boxing anybody and everybody <laughs> out. But you love to see that. And I think that contributes to this as well. But it's a phenomenal call out. And um, truly, you'd love for that to be able to lead to more fast break points. I mean, it, and that's the unfortunate thing is that it normally does not. 100%. That, yeah, that's a great point. I think if you get, and I know we've seen Caleb kind of lacking energy later in the season, but I think if you get him fully healthy and even... 70% of the energy ha he had when he was at peak performance this year, you destroy Youngstown State with the energy that the rest of the team had. So one caveat, I know I know it's an if, thinking back hindsight-wise, and they still won the game. I just I think Oklahoma State was a lot better than this team, a lot better than a five-point victory. Yeah, I'll say this. I would have loved that kid, uh, Cooley? Cooley? I can't remember his name. He's a point guard, though. And yeah, I, I remember you were talking about uh, Cohill, Dwayne Cohill, yeah, Dwayne Cohill. And I didn't even look it up; just came right to me. Um, <laughs> I would take that kid in Stillwater. Unfortunately, he's out of eligibility. But there were a couple of guards. It's like I think I'm just so desperate for a shooter that I would have taken any one of those guys. Maybe not Rush. He needs a little discipline. But Cohill was awesome. He was as active. Rush is cracking me up. I, I, 
I'm not really trying to trash him. Like I get, I get what their game plan was. Youngstown State's coach before the game even said, "We're going to throw everything we've got at Oklahoma State on both sides of the floor." You saw him switching back and forth from man to zone multiple times. So I, I get what they were doing, but the the C the other thing about CSA too, Kate, I, I missed this when I was making the point on him. He got in that early foul trouble and had to sit a lot in the first half. He only got one foul in the second half yeah, and played yeah. amazing. And so that that was pretty foul. awesome to see him do that. Yeah, it was an early foul, too. It was a, a dumb one, and then he just dominated the rest of the game. I think the guards stepped up defensively, too. I'm sure that there was a conversation about that. You might need to get in somebody's face. And ultimately, once that happened, Youngstown State had no answer. And and really, all they relied on was the ball going through the net on difficult, contested shots. Oklahoma State defended without fouling for the most part. So it was a good thing to see. And, and Caleb Asbury, man... It's a shame that he gets one year in Stillwater. Um, one of my favorite moments, maybe of this season, because it's not been a great one, was him just arguing like blatantly with a Youngstown State fan at the free throw line at the end of the game and very clearly calling him names that we actually don't repeat on this show because this is a, this is a family show. So that was a, a real highlight. And frankly, I, I just... I said at the beginning of the year, Caleb Asbury was going to be a guy and he has been, and I just wish we got more time with him. Maybe three, only made three shots, maybe three of the biggest shots of the game, all three. <laughs> so they were all momentum driving shots. So that was pretty awesome. John Michael Wright really struggled from the floor on offense, but I think he played well defensively. I think he's the only guy besides Keon Williams. Yeah, maybe, maybe his best game. Never the prettiest, but his hustle on defense, not maybe not his best game. He got blown by several times. It's almost like he thinks Cisse is in there sometimes and he's funneling his defender to the big, but it's Boone back there who I don't know if that I I wouldn't think that's what they're trying to do schematically on defense when Boone is out there. I wouldn't so think. it's 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 really just like he's getting blown by. Yeah, I'm struggling with Keon. Like, I, I got dragged in my family group chat last night. My dad and brother, I, I, I'm not, I have not been high on Keon. I think he's done some good things, but my, my thought was, I don't know exactly what he does well from a basketball standpoint. He hustles and he makes the like kind of mucky play. Right now, though, that's kind of what you, outside of shooters, you need guys that are going to go in and give you a second chance. And Keon did that. And so if he can figure out a way to maybe not do the whirling dervish layup, if he can keep his body under control, I think he can be a decent four-year player at Oklahoma State. I I, I kind of ate my words last night with him. Uh, I think he was exactly what Oklahoma State needed. Yeah, he was in this game, especially when you're missing shots. You need somebody to rebound them. Smith. Williams and Cisse all had double-doubles, but hey, I, I don't really have any more notes on this game unless you do. They've got Eastern Washington on Sunday at 1 p.m. Eastern Washington, who's coming off their only second postseason win in the history of their basketball program, the Eastern Washington Eagles. They've got a few guys who can score. They beat Washington State in that first game, 81-74, I think Oklahoma State can beat them as well, especially if Caleb Boone can just give you a little bit more than two points in 14 minutes. Well, I think he has to. Um, there's a guy for Eastern Washington, though, named Steel Venters, 
Venters. He put up 27 in that game. Yeah, that is, it sounds like March to me. Now, normally sounds like a guy playing in the big dance, but that sounds troublesome to me. One note on them. Now, they didn't get a lot of opportunities because they didn't play a lot of highly ranked teams. They don't have any wins over anyone ranked in the top 100 on KenPom.com. And they lost to number 218 FIU and 165 SDSU. They also played Texas Tech and lost by seven. Yeah. So, I mean, I expect Oklahoma State to win this game. Frankly, if you look at their side of the bracket, again, we were talking about this. Sam Houston State, North Texas, those are your other kind of teams to look out for on this side of the bracket. Eastern Washington, though, you know, being the five seed with the ability to score pretty decently, I think is a threat. But ultimately, I if Oklahoma State wins this game, I like them to advance all the way. I, I think they've already beaten Sam Houston State once. Keep these games at home and then see what happens. But you're going to have to guard Steel Venters. And as we get into the transfer portal section later, uh, that's a guy I wouldn't mind having in Stillwater. So I'm watching the post-game handshake alone. line. I'm not I'm watching the post-game handshake line for some extracurriculars, if you know what I'm saying. <laughs> I Kate, I don't want to make a prediction because I've been wrong literally every time and I think they're gonna win. So I don't I don't even want to say it. I don't even want to actually make an official prediction, but you can if you want. <laughs> I'll follow your lead, my friend. No prediction. Uh before we get into the basketball transfer portal segment, which I don't, we didn't dive into as deep last year, but I think we're going to get way into it this year because Oklahoma State has some needs, which they did last year too. Brandon Garrison, 2022-23 Gatorade Oklahoma Basketball Player of the Year, announced that last Wednesday. Just wanted to call that out. Oklahoma State, he's the signee in last class. He'll be coming in next year. Pretty big-time achievement in the best player in Oklahoma. I think it's pretty cool. And you love when Oklahoma State can get those in-state guys that are that highly ranked. Well, no question. I think Brandon Garrison is uh, maybe the maybe the, the center that Oklahoma State has been wanting. I mean, obviously, Musa Cisse is a, is a special talent. But Brandon Garrison's got really dynamic offensive ability. I think he can step out and hit the three a little bit. My question is, can you play him with a guy like Musa Sise? Can he be a four and be the kind of pick and pop stretch three or stretch four and do some of the things that maybe a Woody Newton could not? And I, that would that would be something I would pay to see next year. I think that's a great I think that's a great question. I think also I think Garrison's a guy who is going to because this always happens with the young big guys, unless they're one of those one and done type players. I think he's going to come in. I think it's going to be a learning process through the first part of the season, maybe all of next season. But by year two, maybe late in the first year, I think he's going to, you're going to start to see the flashes of him being a yeah. really, really good player. Yeah, no question. I think year one, it it's tough when you're not a top five player to really, ex- I mean, look at Bryce Thompson. feels like the light hasn't even all the way turned on quite yet there's a chance that he comes in and it's similar. So Oklahoma state, which it's a great segue into the transfer portal has some big questions to answer this year. This, this, this needs to be Mike Boynton's best recruiting class, top to bottom, including transfer portal period. Okay. Cade. So transfer portal, you perfectly transitioned us. New rule in basketball, just like football. There's the, they've implemented these transfer windows. So, 
Monday kicked off the 60-day transfer window. I think it may have been last Monday, but re- a recent Monday kicked off the 60-day transfer window. <laughs> and they also have the one-time transfer rule still intact. So if a player has transferred, if they transfer again, they have to get a waiver to be immediately eligible. So same as football is doing now. And i got a few names to throw out at you. We can go one by one, and you can tell me if you like them or if you don't like them. For all our listeners that don't already know this, Cade knows a lot of college basketball. So he's going to know some of these names without even having to look them up, but I'm still going to read the stats anyway. The first one I've got, and I, I mainly am looking at point guards and guards that can shoot right now yeah, because we know it. Asbury's leaving and we know Oklahoma State needs a point guard right now, and they definitely will next year. So the first guy I've got, and no ties to Oklahoma State at all for any of these guys. I just made sure they hadn't committed anywhere and they were still in the portal. Uh, Amory Abram from Ole Miss. Amari Abram, sorry, from Ole Miss. In his true freshman season, he played in all 32 games, starting 22 of them. Averaged 21 minutes a game, near 40% from the field. 66 rebounds, 66 assists, and 22 steals on the season. Not you know, not a ton of minutes a game. A guy that maybe is not someone that you can that can come in right away as a plug and play leading point guard. But I definitely think if there's interest from his side, you take a guy like this, do you not? Yeah, I I was looking at him. He's a 36 percent three point shooter. If he's good enough to run your offense and get guys off the dribble and and beat them that way, then sure. I think Oklahoma State needs two things out of their next, you know, crop of guards. They need one to be slashers. You need you need guys that can beat a defender off the dribble because that is OSU's you a bucket. Go get a bucket. Go make a shot happen. They do not have somebody like that right now. And even if they did have guys that could create, they do not have guys that can create and score, generally speaking. So you need a spot up shooter too. I think you need a guy that can stand in the corner and have a shot delivered to him and make it reliably. And so um, those are my two requirements. Amari Abram would be maybe a little underwhelming be- knowing how much importance you're putting on shooting next year. Okay, I've got a shooter for you up next. I, I Let's hear it. <laughs> Nicholas Timberlake from Towson. Grad transfer. 233 three-point attempts in his career. Or... 233 three-pointers made in his career, over 40% from three in each of the last two seasons. I think he's one of the best shooters in the portal right now that's entered so far. Yeah, that that's a sign-me-up type of guy right there. That's that's who Oklahoma State needs. And we, you know, the one thing I think people will call out is, hey, we brought in these shooters, you know, most recently a Peron Flavors from these lower schools and they haven't shot as well. I think that's a little bit overblown at times. There's some different aspects into that. This guy's a shooter. I mean, he's, he's not just a shooter either. He can like get a bucket off the dribble. So I I like Timberlake a lot. I don't, I think pretty much every school that's looking in the portal has reached out to him. So I'm not sure there next guy, Primo Spears, Georgetown. Yeah, Yeah. 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 16 points a game, three rebounds, 5.3 assists. He's already transferred. He transferred yep. from Duquesne to Georgetown. 
But what I've seen is they think, I don't know what, it, I think it's related to Georgetown losing Patrick Ewing as their coach. They think he might be able to get a waiver since Ewing recruited him to Georgetown to transfer. So there's a chance he might be getting a, get a waiver, but there's also a chance he might have to sit. Any any thoughts on Primo Spears? Well, if he needs a waiver, they're not going to give it to him at Oklahoma State. They're, <laughs> I mean, you know what I mean? Like, we're not going to get, a a handout from the NCAA, even though they are handing waivers out like candy, uh, they're not going to help us here. But Primo Spears, I saw him into the portal, and he's a guy that could absolutely help you. But I think he's going. I think he's a high major guard. I think he's probably going to be courted by maybe not the Kentuckys of the world, but certainly like the Texases of the world. Even a Texas Tech, I could see. So we'll see. But he would be great. To go along with that, being recruited by pretty much everybody, I've got another name for you. And he's also a fellow all-CAA first-teamer alongside Ooh. a guy I just talked. We, we just talked about, Nicholas Timberlake. This is Jameer Nelson Jr. from Delaware. Whoa! <laughs> <laughs> we should show him some highlights of his dad that losing. That would be weird. That would yeah. be a weird person for Oklahoma State to get, but... 20.6 points a game, 4.6 rebounds, 3.6 assists for Delaware this season. He's, uh, from what I've seen, literally, like like with Timberlake, everyone's already reached out to him. But this would be a big-time get, not only because it would be cool to have Jameer Nelson's son playing for Oklahoma State, but he's a really, really good basketball player. How does a kid like that fly so under the radar to where they end up at Delaware? His name is Jameer Nelson Jr. Like, go get him. <laughs> He's going to be good. I promise. Like, it's going to be fine. Gonna be good. How funny would I mean, it be to like walks into Oklahoma State for a recruiting visit? Mike Boynton sits him down in the theater room and he flips on the projector and he's like, oh, oh gosh. And it's and it's John Lucas stepping back and hitting a three at the buzzer. Put the wrong tape on. It's just a scenario I could see being pretty funny. Uh, that would be so awesome. OK, kid, I got a few more for you. Mike Mitchell Jr. from Pepperdine, 6'2", 185-pounder, two seasons left of eligibility. He played in 31 games last season. You didn't say 6'2", 285, did you? 185, sorry. Okay. If I did say 285, 6'2", 185. He's not a small, a short shack. He 31 games last season, 11.4 points, 5 assists, 4.1 rebounds, 33 minutes per game, shot 42%. Three-point range, 45% from the field. This is a guy with eligibility left. Played for a school like Pepperdine, who we know gets to play some bigger schools at times. Has been, you know, made some runs before in the past. Not just like, you know, a bottom-tier basketball program in a really cool campus, by the way, out in yeah, no Malibu. Kidding. But I, I like Mitchell. I don't think he's your bucket getter, but he maybe is your point guard. Yeah, I think I think so too. I mean, I'm I'm looking at him right now. I like. I mean, he's kind of long. Like for a six two one eighty five, he's a he's he looks like he could. And I haven't seen any tape, but he looks lanky. I think he could probably help you defensively there. So I I like the fit a lot there. I've got one more for you. I like this guy, Jackson Pavletsky from Wofford. 15.1 points, 3.7 assists, uh, just under 40% from three. Oh, yeah. He was the Southern Conference Freshman of the Year, so he has a ton of eligibility left. 
got kind of like long flowy hair, rocks the headband, looks like somebody that would light it up for Wofford in the tournament, like a guy that would win an NCAA tournament game and score like 32 and then be on the March Madness promo promo for yeah, years right, to come. Right. right. I like his style. He's definitely a shooter that I think can also ball handle and run the point. 15.1 points a game. That's nothing to, you know, scoff at at scoring wise. So no way. a guy that I think maybe is not as high up on all the two four seven charts and everything as a top guard in the portal right now. So maybe someone Oklahoma State could go grab, but I like him a lot. You know, there's other guys in the portal, Javin Small from ECU, Cameron Hunter from Central Arkansas, but they're getting a lot of looks as well. So I was trying to pick a couple of big name guys and a couple of more under the radar guys. Yeah, no, I think you did a great job. Those are some guys that it's interesting. I mean, there's going to be 500 players enter the portal and we've seen Oklahoma State will, they will be in the portal until uh, August. I mean, when, when did, uh, I think Tyreek Smith committed like late into, into the process back when yeah. he transferred from tech. So like again, everybody I'll, last year was late. Too. Yeah, I, I think so. I'll reiterate, this has to be a good transfer portal haul for Mike Boynton. I, I think that he did the right thing. I think John Michael Wright and Caleb Asbury, you could see it potentially work out, but it didn't work out well enough. I, th- I think you've got to go get some guys, and I don't know what it takes. I don't know if it's an NIL thing. Need a little help there, but uh, they they need to make a uh, an improvement in, in the guard play next season. And I think you may have a question mark underneath. If, if Musa Cisse and Caleb Boone are back, next year could be – could be dicey. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree with you. Yeah. Cade, I don't have anything else on basketball. Should we move into the other sports? I think we should. I think we should. Okay, just a quick rundown of what happened in baseball, and then we'll hit some takeaways. We mentioned on the last pod before Cade and Cameron did the pod together that for baseball and softball, we'll do a quick recap and then do our takeaways instead of recapping each game since there's you know, three or four each weekend. Cowboys played Utah Tech four times. They win 11-1 on Friday. They won both games of the doubleheader on Saturday, 10-4 and 9-3, and then finished off with a 9-4 victory on Sunday. Then beat Dallas Baptist, who we've seen be a really solid baseball program of recent years and of, of all time. Dallas Baptist, who Oklahoma State always ends up playing in a week, a weekday series or a weekday game. They win 20 to four in seven innings. And if you watch that game, it got a little almost boring at times because it felt, I mean, you felt bad for DBU. They were using kind of the back end of their bullpen and you could tell they didn't want to pull out any of their starters, but they didn't really have any way to stop the bleeding. And it ended 20 to four. And I think they were just lucky to get out of there without having to use any more arms. Any major takeaways from UK in those games specifically? or how the team kind of has looked throughout this intense, what is it, 14-game, 11-game win streak or something like that? Well, I think it's that. I think think the fact is that the bats have been consistently good and that you've been able to win 11 games against, we're not talking world beaters here in Austin P and Dallas Baptist and others, but I don't think they're slouches. I think that this is a... This is a good thing. I, I think if we would have looked back and said they're going to win 11 in a row, we would have 
maybe been a little surprised just because you normally don't see that in college baseball. So I think it's great. I think the bats have done a really good job. Um, pitching continues to confound a little bit. I don't know. I don't know what they do long term, but I think the bats are good enough to get them maybe to where they want to be. Yeah, the bats have been on fire. Riggio's reached base in 13 straight games. He was recently Big 12 Player of the Week. He's literally he he's bumped his batting average up. I think it was like 260, and now he's at like I think 320 something or something like that. Bregman, uh, Bregerman and Schubert are along with Riggio are a- absolutely on fire at the plate. Atkinson. Darty's been out at catcher. I think he's going to be out for a little while. He's batting 383. This is a guy that usually hits in your nine hole who isn't even, you know, him and Darty are supposed to be splitting time. Not he was a he's a power bat, but not a guy who you've seen hit for average. He apparently changed, made some tweaks to his swing this offseason and how he kind of loads up before, you know, the pitch is coming when he loads up in the box. That tweak it and he's batting 383 and he's literally catching right almost every game, which is pretty incredible. In the field, Oklahoma State's fourth in fielding percentage. They're looking great in the field. And along with those guys I mentioned at the plate, Miola, Mendham, McLean, Binge, they're all batting over 300. But like you noted, aside from Watts Brown, who now is looking as good as advertised, who are the other weekend starters we've seen? Root, we've seen different guys kind of make appearances We've seen Abram look really good starting during the week. Does he get a shot to start a game on the weekend? We saw Hendry come out, the St. John's transfer, and look pretty good. Does he get a chance? Does Kiesel get back in there? Isaac Stebbins has been lights out from the bullpen. He's actually maybe been, besides Watts Brown, the best pitcher on the roster. And besides McLean and his limited work you know, as a closer, those three guys have been amazing. Does Stebbins get a chance to start? Brendan Phillips, the young lefty, he's looked good at times, and he struggled at times, which you would think from a true freshman, so we'll see. And Bogus is back. Does right. he get a chance to start? Do they keep him, him in the pin? I think it's not the fact that the pitching isn't doing well. There's still some inconsistencies, but it's also college baseball. That's going to happen with any pitching staff, even the best. I just think they need to figure out who their weekend starters are, are as you move into Big 12 play at Texas Tech this weekend. I love it. Ryan Bogus is maybe a guy that you want not in your bullpen if you could avoid it, just with how thin your starting depth is right now. But if you, I, sh- I should say, if you can avoid it, it's good to have him in your bullpen. But I don't think they can. I, I think he's probably a guy they need up there. Yeah, 100% agree. And from everything that I've heard, Zach Earhart is still dealing with a sore shoulder. That's why he's not playing. We've seen some other guys step up, you know, uh, Jackson Kroll. We've seen Brendan Holt get in there, the LSU transfer at shortstop, and Marcus Brown rested for a game against Utah Tech. So some of these transfers, when they've gotten their chance, they've looked really good, especially at the plate. So it's been pretty awesome to see. Uh, Kate, if you don't have anything else on baseball, we can head into softball. Let's move right on. So the girls took on Florida State last weekend. We talked about how you and Cameron even brought it up, how big a series that was going to be. Seen Florida State ranked around five and or six, whatever, depending on what poll you looked at, heading into that series. Looked a little shaky in the first game. They lose it five to seven. Kelly Maxwell struggled a little bit there, but they come back and run rule 
on Saturday, nine to one in five innings with Kyra Aycock at the plate, who has been phenomenal this year as a starting pitcher. And then they went three to two against Florida State on Sunday. Florida State got a little tricky. Everyone thought they were going to throw Sandercock again, their ace pitcher. And they went with someone that Coach Gajewski, I heard him on his radio show talking. They really didn't even think they were going to throw it all that weekend. So it caught the Cowgirls a little bit off guard, but they were still able to pull out the victory. Winning the series against Florida State is huge. And then you've got Central Arkansas yesterday. They beat them 7-3. to three. That's a team who's receiving votes yep. in the top 25. So pretty amazing stretch there from the Cowgirls. Their bats are still absolutely on fire. And the fact that Maxwell has Acock and Kilfoyle to lean back on as pitchers, I mean, I, I'm not trying to just drive the hype train straight off a cliff, but I think this is a team that can win it all. They have a number two next to their name right now. Like it's everybody knows they're good. And I think it's okay to say that they could win it all because I think they could. And Dustin, they are playing a difficult schedule. I mean, it is, it is a buzzsaw. Like looking ahead to this weekend, I'm sure you have this and you may have even gotten to it, but Arizona State at home, Central Florida, Minnesota, and UCF, again, two of those teams are receiving votes or they are in the AP top 25. So I don't even know if it's AP. That was a Freudian slip. But regardless, <laughs> a, another really tough weekend in Stillwater, but they continue to show time and time again that they're built for it. And again, I think that number two next to their name proves that. Yeah, that, and the only reason Central Arkansas even scored is – Ivy Rosenberry, the Virginia Tech transfer, she actually wasn't doing a terrible job pitching. She had some issues fielding from the pitching spot and actually had a couple of errors that led to base runners, that led to runs. Right. They brought Acock in, and then Maxwell closed it out, getting another save. I think she's got like three or four now on the year. So they really dominated Central Arkansas as well because once Acock and Maxwell came in, they weren't able to do anything for the remaining five innings. So just absolutely dominating teams aside from that one loss to Florida state, they win that series. And like you mentioned, they've got a tough schedule coming up, but they're all in Stillwater. And I think they can win all these games. You know, Becker, Wark, Lott, Edwards are all hitting over 400 factor. Naomi and Carlisle are all hitting over 300. The fielding has been good, a little shaky. Like I said, at the beginning against UCA, Acock has Kyra Acock is the next, Kelly Maxwell type pitcher at Oklahoma state. And I, I don't even feel like that's overhyping her to say that she's a freshman and she looks like she's been doing it for years. She's going to be fun to watch for a long time in Stillwater. That's some high praise right there. Kelly Maxwell. We said is the best athlete on campus right now. <laughs> uh, Kate, some other notes, wrestling nationals stay tuned to those. I think Oklahoma state went five and five in the first session this morning. Last I looked, they were in 14th. I know the other session I think is going on right now. I haven't checked. Women's basketball takes on number eight seed Miami. They're the number yeah. nine seed this Saturday. You might recognize Miami basketball because they have the Cavender twins, which are like the NIL sensations. Yeah. I think they're both making like a million dollars each. And one of them is actually, I think Miami's leading scorer. So they have a difficult road, Oklahoma State. They've got they would have to play number one seed Indiana, and I believe, you know, in the women's tournament, the one seeds get to host. Yes, so they it's do in it's Bloomington. Crazy. So that's going to be tough. And you know, Kate and I don't talk a ton of women's basketball in here, but J.C. Hoyt has led this team kind of a complete turnaround. 
They've looked really good. I think it'll be a fun game. I don't know how long the run will last when you've got to play Indiana at home, which is completely unfair. But hopefully they can make a little run. Maybe maybe just win the first game would be great. Yeah, I mean, I, I would agree with you. Oklahoma State's actually favored in that game too, uh, three-point favorites at, at right now. So uh, it'll be fun. I'll certainly be watching and uh, an- another Oklahoma State team to root for, and they're likable, man. I've, I've watched a little bit down the stretch, and – they're a good team. Something about them. Yeah. And, okay, the last one I had was, I mentioned it earlier, in track. Distance runner uh, Faroud Masoudi took home his second national title of last weekend in the 3,000 meters. So he's the first individual title winner for the Cowboy men's indoor team since 1986. Oh, wow. Be awesome. That's so awesome. I think yeah, and stay tuned. Cowboy and Cowgirl Golf, like I said, they're ramping back up. Both haven't been looking great so far, but hopefully that turns around. So we'll kind of see how that goes. But, Cade, that's all from the rest of the OSU sports world. So if you don't have anything else, I think we can get into questions. No, I'd love to get into questions. And, Dustin, I, I have really quickly before we get there, it's kind of a question, but I wanted to kind of kick us off with maybe a shout-out slash observation slash talking point. It's from Riley Medill. He DM'd it to me. They DM'd it to me at RJ Medill 95 said, I saw you were discussing Mike Boynton's offense with others. I thought you might find this link interesting. And it was a link to shotquality.com. He said some stats that might surprise some people regarding off regarding Mike Boynton's offense. And then said a big fan of the show, big thank you. But the point that I'm bringing up here before we get right into this is where Oklahoma state stacks up and kind of, qualify the caliber of shots they took this season because one thing I said I said this with Cameron last week and I've said it for a while Mike Boynton's job primarily is to get them open looks and according to shotquality.com they were the 33rd best team in terms of shot quality in the NCAA this season right behind 32nd ranked Duke 31st Arkansas 30th, uh, or I'm sorry, 31st San Diego State, who's now making a potential Sweet 16 run right in front of teams like North Carolina, Missouri, Providence, Xavier, Florida, Auburn, Arizona State, NC State, so Utah State, several NCAA tournament teams there. So the reason I bring this up is because it does kind of back up some of the things we've been saying. If you look on that spreadsheet, they are one of the worst teams at converting those shots, obviously because they're a poor scoring team. So I think it backs that that up. And I just wanted to give a shout out to to Riley for that because uh, I thought it was interesting. It allowed me to take a little bit of, of a deeper look. And so just wanted to say thanks before we got into it. Yeah, uh, we, we've said it on multiple game recaps. They're, they're getting open looks. They're just not hitting them. Like as opposed to Youngstown State, who was not getting open looks and was hitting them. It's so easy to just blame it on like coaching when you don't really see it. And I get it because the game is about putting the basket in the hoop or the ball in the basket. But when you look at the analytics over a full season like that, it's not a lie. It's not lying to you. So I just thought it was, it was profound and, um, you know, kind of backs up some of the things we've been saying. They need shooters. I think the scheme works. I really do. No, that's all. It's awesome stuff. I appreciate it. You said it was RJ? Right. Uh, Riley Medill. Yeah. Riley Medill. Awesome. That, well, thank you so much, Riley, for sending that in because that's awesome stuff. And Kate, thanks for calling that out. Yeah, absolutely. 
Awesome. Let's get into the questions. The first one up, we've got Glory Cowboy at Gorig Sankar. Thanks so much for sending them in. He always sends in good As stuff. As always, yeah. Who do you think takes over? And we kind of talked about this earlier, but we can rehash it right now. Who do you think takes over as the number one wide receiver and number one running back for the football team this fall? I think yeah. looking back at last season, OSU's offense lacked creativity in the second half of the season. We became one of the teams who were afraid to experiment. What would help to mitigate such scenario this year? So, Kate, on the on the first part, I believe you and I went with a Dijon Stribling. So I th- that was your answer. Am I, uh, yeah, am I yeah. correct on that? Yeah. So you're going to go Dijon. I'll stick with Jaden Bray with a, my dark horse being Blaine Green, but I, I really want to say Dijon Stribling just so we can be different. But I don't think on running back we can be different. I think we're both going to say Ollie Gordon there with with a splash of Elijah Collins mixed in as RB2. Yeah, I, I fully agree. Awesome. On the second part, the creativity. You know, I think we talked about this in some of our film breakdown stuff after the games. The cre- And Casey Dunn even mentioned it in his post-game pressers, which, Kate, I don't think I've noted this. I, I don't know if those are going to happen anymore going forward. The coordinator oh, yeah. post-game pressers. I saw, I can't remember where I saw it. Unless this was a dream, I'll go look it up. Because I'm, <laughs> I'm we, we already talked about me and the meme. But I think, I don't think they're going to do that anymore. But that's a side note. So the creativity, the lack of creativity, I, I hate to blame it on this. And I know, I'm sure Glory Cowboy is going to be like, yeah, cop out answer, you idiot. The injuries, when you have to play a Garrett Rangel as your quarterback and you have backup receivers, backup offensive linemen in there, the creativity goes out the window because you're going back to your base plays. I just, everybody was kind of banging the table asking for creativity. And it's like, with what? I mean, triple option? Do you want some sluggos? Or, I mean, and they tried that. So outside of what they were already doing, I just, I would love maybe, and I, this is not to, this is not to Gorig. This is a general gripe. I'd love for somebody to show me what Oklahoma State should have ran. Like, if, and, and a lot of people have said like, Lance Leopold's uh, offense would be an example. That is a completely different operation and it looks different and it may be more effective for them, but you can't implement that day. You can't implement that in the middle of the season. He Glory Cowboy does point out something though, in that, that I do appreciate the part about the second half of the season, because there was creativity with Spencer Sanders. I'm not saying that Casey Dunn's offense is the most creative. It's not. I agree that it's not. And I think they need to add some new things, some new wrinkles in there to point out like he does the second half of the season. I think that was a lot due to injuries and a lot due to Casey Dunn, not having any idea what was going to work with the players he had out there. And I'm not saying that's not complete. Some of that is on him. He needs to do a better job, but I don't know what creativity wise you can do in the middle of the season when you've got technically the guy that you thought was going to be your third string quarterback out there. Not true freshman. So yeah, I mean, I I mean, they they tried tunnel screens. They tried get him out in space, and I I don't know what they're supposed to do. Yeah, I do love the question though, and it brought up obviously a great discussion there. So uh, next one, Corbett Klein at Corbett Klein again, always sending in great questions. Do you think that net? I believe this is talking about. 
basketball? Do you think that next year's team needs more leadership and holding other players accountable? The only mm. player lately calling other players out on the floor and showing a lot of motion has been Williams. The team has lacked accountability for poor play individually and repeat mistakes. Ooh, I think accountability is tough to judge from afar when you're not in there and you don't know who the true. Now I, I will back up some of that. I don't know who the leader of this team is. I think it's unfortunately Mike Boynton. You would like for there to be some sort of leadership in the locker room on the court, a guy to calm everybody down. I do not see that this year. And I think unfortunately your best player, you know, I think you can make the argument. Caleb Boone is not your leader. I mean, he's just not walking out of the huddle and in, in the big 12, you know, uh, quarterfinals is a terrible look and not something that I think is leader leaderly, so to speak. So, uh, I, I would agree with that point, but I do not know how to discuss the accountability thing. I think Mike Boynton will take accountability for it, and I think he should, but I also don't know how you can look at the roster today and say somebody on the roster should hold themselves accountable and hold others accountable. They all underperformed. Yeah, no, I honestly Kate, don't have anything to add to that because I think you laid it out perfectly. And okay. the thing with Caleb Boone... I'm not saying this is an excuse for him, but you could. he's been on a lot of interviews recently, and he was on the Coach uh, Boynton radio show when they had all the kind of seniors on yep. there with Dave. I think he knows he's not that. Like, I don't think he's trying to be that, and I think he should. Like, it would be great if he was. It would be great if he was a leader. I just don't think, you know, at, at this point, I don't know if he can change, and I think he doesn't see himself as that, so I don't think it's ever going to be no, him. I but yeah, I mean, I, I agree with everything that you said. Those were great interviews too. And I think you're right. I think what I, what my deal is, is I'm not asking Caleb Boone to be a leader. I'm asking him to not be detrimental. Like at, at times he is detrimental. And I think in that Texas game, you looked and you saw Agreed. once the light flipped on for him, it was like, okay, well, this was a winnable game. And that sucks that he mentally disengaged for 30 minutes. And he does do that. He did pull the ripcord several times in the middle of a game and just completely disappear. And you would like for him to have enough of a, a a leader quality to not do those things. And again, I'm not asking him for to be the, you know, most vocal guy in the locker room, but, and I'm not trying to go hard on Caleb for a second week. I just like, it's, it's bothersome. Yeah, no, I agree. This is a great question though, Corbett. Okay. The next one, be kind of quick from Brian Metcalf at Brian J Metcalf. Thanks Brian for the question with Cavanis going on scholarship last week. Where does that put the count at? Okay. So we've talked about this on here. I don't know which of the super seniors are getting their scholarship paid for by NIL and who's actually on scholarship. But Kate, let me break it down for you like this. Let me know if it's confusing. So the total scholarship count, this is counting everybody who's there in spring the guys coming in that aren't on campus yet and the soup and all the super seniors is at 88 by my count. And I went through this multiple times. So I think it's close to that number. Now what I believe, cause that's three over the limit, right? What I believe is several of those eight super seniors. So Xavier Benson, Alan Bowman, Elijah Collins, Josiah Johnson, Ian Edenfield, Braden Cassidy, Nathan Latou and Anthony Goodlow. I still don't understand how some of the offensive linemen aren't, but another story. Some of those eights, 
I think are being taken care of by NIL. I would suspect it's guys that have already been on the team, like a Cassidy and Latou and a Benson, and the new guys probably aren't. And that would get you to the 85. It may even be a couple more than that, and they're leaving a couple scholarship spots open for the next transfer portal window that opens in May. All that to say they're at 85 one way or another. Maybe they add another guy or so in the next transfer portal window, but I'm pretty sure they are at 85 right now or really, really close. Like I don't think there's like seven spots open. Yeah, they're not going to be holding too many guys at this point in the in the cycle of things. That's not going to happen. So the NIL thing is a super interesting slant that we've talked about. And uh, I don't know if we'll ever really know how guys are getting their school paid for, you know, if if it's not through scholarship. I'm not sure how you would know that. Yeah, I agree. And the last one is from uh, Coach Michael Dowdy at Mike underscore Dowdy. He says, Pokes headed into their Big 12 opener at Tech for baseball, carrying in the longest win streak in the country. Possible to fit in a little baseball talk to previous series. Cade, I, I mean, I've got a few notes on Tech with our D1 baseball subscription. I was able to kind of read a little bit about them going into the series. I tried to do it for most of the series. I didn't do it for Utah Tech because I knew that was going to be a beat down. But I've got a little bit of info on them if you if you don't mind. Yeah, love it. So they're ranked 22nd on D1 baseball. They're 14 and three, which is really similar to Oklahoma State's record. Their main guy, Gavin Cash, Texas transfer to Texas Tech. He's hitting 463, two to, or five doubles, two triples, six homers, 26 RBIs, along with 13 walks, a 1.3396 OPS. He's a monster. He's actually been great good in the field as well so tech is 16th in batting average and they're tied for 23rd in home runs they can hit but they're also 19th in era uh some of the some of the other names to watch for dylan carter austin green gage harrelson on the mound those are guys at the plate and in the field mason molina brendan girton trendon Parrish. those are some names to watch for on the mound they're a pretty complete team right now texas tech has been good as of late, if you paid attention to college baseball, you know that. They've been a team that's hit a lot of home runs as of late. I think this is going to be a tough series. The D1 baseball staff was pretty split in picking this series. Even yeah. our guy Aaron Fitz picked Texas Tech to come out victorious in this series. So we need to, we need to haze him a little bit on Twitter about that. But being in Lubbock, it's going to be yeah. the first time Oklahoma State's been away from Stillwater in a while I could see them being a little rusty if they came out with two losses in the series. I wouldn't be shocked, but I expect them to go two and one. Yeah. I think the only reason I will, I'll take tech to win this series. I think Oklahoma state's going to win a, a game. No question. And it would not shock me to see them win this series, but it's in Lubbock. And I have a concern that uh, the bats, they they will travel, but will they travel well enough to compete with guys like Gavin Cash? I'm not sure. So uh, love the breakdown there, but it's a big one. I mean, Tech is a team that you're going to be competing with at the top of the Big Twelve this year. Yeah, I, I think if I think if the bats are even remotely as hot as they have been with Watts Brown, I know Texas Tech's pitching staff is solid, yeah. but with Watts Brown on the mound, with how he's looked race, recently getting into his groove, I think you can take the Friday game and then. You know, on Saturday and Sunday, it's like you said, 
do you have enough hitting to compensate right. for just kind of the the pitching has been good. It's just the inconsistency of who they're throwing out there as the starter. Cause right. you know, throw Phillips out there last time and he gives up three runs right off the bat. Yeah. And if you 100%. do that to a team like Texas Tech, they're gonna they're gonna get runs against our better pitchers as well. So yeah. then it builds up what is it, eight, nine, ten runs? Can we score that many? So I think it's going to be tough, but I think they get the Friday game, and then it's kind of a toss of Saturday, Sunday. But I, I think they're going to go two and one. I think not. I think the bats stay hot. I think you're. I think you're spot on with everything you said, and you're right. Like, if it's three runs against a, a DBU or a Austin P, is it nine against Tech? You hope not, but they're good enough to do things like that. So we'll see. It's a big one, big one in Lubbock. So hope the Cowboys come out with a a series win. They owe it to Tech. I think who came in and swept. Oklahoma State in Stillwater last year, if I'm not mistaken. That was kind of a miserable series. I was there for two games out of that, and that was no fun. So let's see how it goes this weekend. Dustin, oh, Kate, I, yeah. I got one more quick one for you. Sorry, in the DMs. And I, I think I might have missed one from these guys last time. This is from Around the 12 podcast. Thanks, yeah. guys, so much for sending this in. I'll just ask this one to you. It's a basketball one. Just give your answer, and then we can sign off. So Because yeah. your your brain is way better than mine on basketball for sure. So I'm not sure when you guys are recording next, he says, but I was curious <laughs> if our men's basketball team, if they win the NIT, does that give Mike Boynton some grace with the fans and buy him some more time? Do you think that it does, or do you think it doesn't really matter because it's NIT? No, I think it would, and I think it should. I, tournaments are hard to win, and I think there are some good teams in this tournament. I think, I mean, Oklahoma State's the top overall seed in it, though. They are the odds-on favorite to win the NIT. You've seen your other other teams like Rutgers go down. Michigan was in a dogfight. Um, I I think the NIT is a total crapshoot, to be completely honest with you. It, it's a total test of motivation. Oklahoma State, you know, coming out and winning that game at Youngstown. I think now, you know, the question is, can you go win the thing? And um, I, I don't know if Mike Boynton gets any additional grace for winning the NIT. I think the loudest ones right now will not care that it's the NIT. And I think the ones that are you know, willing to give it another year or so, um, are, are, are might be, might think a little differently about the, the future of the program if they're able to go do this. But I mean, to be completely honest with you, I'm probably somewhere right in the middle. It would be great to go win the whole thing. They have not done that, but at the end of the day, it's, it's the NIT and these are some, some bubble teams. So. Yeah, I agree. That's good stuff. Those are great questions, guys. Thanks so much for sending them in. Kind of got, every sport on the question yeah. so that was awesome thank you guys we love the questions guys and i know we make jokes about them not being audio but anyway you want to send them in dms in the twitter mentions audio we love them all so they they make us feel like you guys appreciate the pod so thanks so yeah, much 100 well dustin it was good to see you again my friend missed having you and glad you're back uh, obviously things crazy in life right now but uh, i always enjoy getting to sit and chat with you so if you're not already Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at feels like 45 pod. You can follow Dustin at dust ragu and you can follow me at Cade Webb. We will see you guys back here next week. Go pokes.